welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about Draft Lottery Week. We are one day away from the big drawing. I'm going to be talking about all the action going on in Chicago throughout the week and what we have starting today in the NBA G League Elite Camp. I'll get you all covered on some of the prospects there. The top ones I have on my watch list and who I ultimately believe will be moved on to the NBA Combine. And tie it all off, kind of going to get into that draft lottery action. I'll be giving you all my one and only tankathon spin on the podcast. What the result was and kind of what you would want to do in that situation, at least in my eyes. And to cap it all off, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. Guys, apologies for being off the last couple of days. I've been working on some bigger projects. In my last pod, I talked about Antonius Cleveland. I had a few touch-ups on there. I mentioned that he played for Cleveland. That's not correct. That is his last name. I had that uh, mixed up. It was Atlanta that he was with along with the Dallas Mavericks. Also did not have any overseas stints prior to playing in Australia. But as you guys all heard from last pod, he has done a great job over there. But kicking things off with some of the draft lottery stuff. That's obviously going to be the headliner for this week. There's a lot of other action that will be going on as well. Now, in terms of significance, obviously the NBA draft lottery is what you care about. You know, the G League combine is great. The NBA combine is great. But, you know, if you end up getting the seventh or eighth pick and the 12th pick, who cares? <laughs> Who cares about guys like Chet and Jabari? You know, what those measurements might be. It's awesome. You get a lot of great evaluation, but just from like that front office perspective, you know, you care more about getting that top pick than someone having a really great or really bad combine day. It does factor into it, but there's a clear pecking order in this week, and the main one comes tomorrow. But you get the action starting at that NBA G League Elite Camp. It will be held today and tomorrow. After that, they're going to decide who moves on. There's a pool of 44 prospects for this camp, and they come from various different situations. There's a D3 player. There's uh, someone from the NBL Rising Stars program involved, someone from Overtime Elite. There's a big board here, and there's going to be a lot of eyes set in on this one. Should be live-streamed on Twitch. This is a really good Uh, thing to view if you're trying to kind of expand your draft knowledge most of these players are going to be fringe second round picks to undrafted pickups should be a lot of exhibit 10 signings and as we've seen in years prior I'll go into it there are a lot of very successful players that come out of this even though they're not on that primary slate of that NBA combine and the combine will commence on Wednesday right after the draft lottery commences you wash it down with three days of high quality basketball from some of the top prospects in all their 76 assignments or players invited right now should be moved up to probably 80 81 depending on how many invites they send out to the g league stars uh, but 
we'll get to see some drills, some five-on-five scrimmages, and some big-time measurements that could be used in the next month or so. Big one comes from Tuesday. Like I said, it's going to be airing at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on ESPN. Right after that, it's going to be Game 1 with the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. That is going to be a very interesting series. The Game 7s yesterday, my goodness. It looked like it was going to go down to the wire with Milwaukee and Boston. Boston just went on a tangent. Props to Grant Williams, man. And uh, with the Phoenix game, yeah, I think the Mavs got on a 10-3 run to open the game. Doncic had eight points, and they just never looked back. It was one of those kind of Grizzlies games, I guess. You had that one in December where OKC just got disassembled, losing by 70-plus. And then you had that playoff game uh, in Game 5 against the Warriors. Uh, It was one of those where Dallas was hitting everything for the Suns camp. Some shots were quality, I guess you could say, but there were just way too many problems, and they just looked so distanced from the game, really, the entire way. So props to Dallas. They have been on one hell of a run, and they're going to have a really fun game Wednesday night against the Golden State Warriors. But kind of getting back on track with the lottery, going to get that. You'll see the coverage, probably 20 minutes of just talking about prospects, talking about kind of what teams need, and then that big unveiling i'll be at the down to dunk event on tuesday if anyone else is there make sure to let me know i'd love to chat basketball talk about whatever it's always great going to those events for okc got a 12.5 percent cut with their own pick at choice number one and then with the clippers pick there's a 1.5 percent chance as well i'll talk about that in tomorrow's pod should be a mega pod really we'll, we'll just call like kind of cover the whole nine yards on what to expect. But I want to hone back in on the G League Elite Camp. As you guys know, I really enjoy covering the G League. Obviously, this is just a combine, but for a lot of players, their next step will be something like a two-way contract or getting an Exhibit 10 deal, Summer League deals. And this is where you start. Even though they're not consensus top prospects, this is where you start the climb. And it's been that way for a lot of players. This has only been in session for two seasons, actually. The inaugural G League Elite Camp was in 2019. They didn't have one in 2020 due to COVID. Last year, they picked it back up. And there have been a lot of success stories that come out of here. In 2020, 19, you had Terrence Mann, Max Struess, the Martin Twins, O'Shea Brissett, Juan Toscano Anderson, and Jordan McLaughlin as some notables. Other guys like Reggie Perry, he hasn't played a lot in the NBA, but he's one of the best players in the G League. That is a stacked group, and without this camp, I think the opportunities would have been dwindled for them. You know, this is where you saw guys like Mann get that call up to the NBA Combine and get to prove himself and get into the second round for the Clippers. You take that aspect away, maybe he returns to play for the Seminoles, and that could go for a lot of different players. Last season, there were many players that broke out and got NBA opportunities. The biggest one probably has to be Jose Alvarado. Coming out of Georgia Tech, defensive player in the uh, ACC he was 
very talented there. He wasn't the most overly impressive guy in the combine, but he got the opportunity with the Pelicans, and as we saw, he was a major player come playoff time. Clamping up Chris Paul, that's going to be a pesky defender for a while. And how about Aaron Wiggins? He was—he actually started in the G League elite camp. A lot of people don't know that. He was projected to go undrafted. He was a fringe undrafted player to begin the combine, and he was one of the top two-way pieces. You only get to play two five-on-five matches in the uh, in the elite system here, but he made them count. He was able to get the nod to the next level, continue to remain consistent at the combine. I'm surprised he slid to pick number 55 in all honesty. He was a top probably three player in the initial elite camp and he held his own in the NBA combine pick number 55 OKC took him I had him or Charles Bassey as probably my target there Bassey he was kind of gone so you get Wiggins and as we've seen he has been a very good presence in addition to this Thunder roster Dwayne Washington Jr. is another one he had a similar story one of the leading scorers in this camp got the NBA combine nod got from a two-way deal to a multi-year contract and for some other players such as Carly Jones he started with Louisville he went undrafted but he was one of the primary scorers in this camp and he's been one of the primary scorers for the Texas legends so this is where you're able to really get those evaluations in for a team like the Thunder who are always looking to improve and add players for the future, this is where it starts. It won't get the coverage it deserves, but it most definitely will catch the eyes of Front's offices. So make sure to keep tabs on this. I'll be able to give you guys my takes probably on Wednesday just of the overall landscape, who I believe moves on to the NBA Combine, and kind of my main takeaways. There are plenty of talented players in this pack of 44. I'm going to break down a bunch of them in one second here. But first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to earn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom. You have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Here's what you have to do for the offer go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. 
That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Going to have a day away from the playoff action. Going to ramp things back up tomorrow. It's crazy how fast-paced they are in terms of those playoff situations. For a team like the Miami Heat, they have been presented a gift. I know they did not know uh, you know, their opponent until yesterday, I guess. But, you know, they've had that rest. They've been able to get uh, guys like Jimmy Butler extended time off. And that's going to pay some dividends when they get into playing. If I had to make a prediction, I'd probably say the Celtics end up taking this. However, you have to imagine that gives some sort of leverage to the Miami group. And they have home court advantage. It's going to be very fun to watch this next week. Not just in these playoffs, but in these combines. Going into my top prospects, I kind of just have these as highlighted players. It's not in a set order, but I definitely think they are at the top of the group of 44. And we're going to start with Jamari Bouye out of San Francisco. And this might be a familiar name if you were watching March Madness. A couple months ago, Bouye was the star of the first round, or at least one of them. San Francisco playing up against Murray State, one of the top teams by record there. And that was a firework show. Overtime game, Murray State ended up taking it like 92 to 87. But Bouye was a man on a mission. He finished that game with 36 points. And he was doing it at all three levels. He's a six foot two, 180 pound point guard. He's already 22 years old, so he's been through the college ranks for the full four years. But he does have some alluring factors to him. And the big thing is his ball handling ability. He is so good at controlling the pace with his dribble moves. You'll see in succession some size up combinations between the legs, going behind the back, hesitations, just trying to get you off your feet to set up for penetrations and going for step back jump shots. And he loves to go in isolation with these defenders. He's able to open up those lanes. I think the main one I saw was his between the leg move, but he has some good acceleration. And like I said, whenever he gets into a comfortable spot, he's able to change the pace kind of rapidly. That can lead to some mid-range opportunities or some kickouts. And that's kind of his primary asset as a playmaker. You'll see a lot of kickouts with him penetrating. He's able to kind of assess the trailer off of those screens. He knows where the pick setter is basically at all times and he has those cross-court kickouts where you are very impressed with him so you don't see a ton of tunnel vision it is there on occasion but in a pick and roll I am pretty confident in his ability the thing that really ties it all up though is his shot making because he's 6-2 he needs to be able to have that third level and he most definitely has it He's gravitated towards the upper 30s from three the last two years. This season, he shot 36.7%, and he also shot 75% at the foul line. So he has a good base there, and he has essentially limitless range. When he's feeling it, he's shooting from 30-plus feet away. That is dangerous, and it kind of leaves defenders 
in a predicament because of how quick he is, how he's able to string up dribble moves. If you're playing tied up on him at 28 feet deep, you know, he's going to get by you and that's going to create a lot of opportunities. It's sort of a ripple effect when you elect to do that. So that makes him a problem, I'd say, in half court situations. And just in general, I think he's able to get his shot off, not just on the ball, but also as a catch and shoot piece. So he's one of the top shot creators we have in this camp. I'd say he's the number one. Max Asmus is another name to monitor. I was thinking of him pretty highly. He was actually in last year's elite camp, had that really promising performance with Oral Roberts, brought them to the Sweet 16. Another really good year for him, by the way. We'll see how he does. I think his stock has dropped a little bit from last year, but if he's able to string up some good games, I could also see him being able to go into the NBA Combine games. We've seen an uptick in these types of players where they are so dominant with their handle and their step back is so lethal, creates so many shots, and they can be that microwave. The big one last year was Bones Highland. Trey Mann also falls in that category a little bit, but I'll stick on Bones Highland for the purposes of he was a second rounder going into the combine, ends up kind of sneaking into first round waters, and there you go. Denver swoops him up. He was one of the better picks in the back end of the first round. Bouye is an outside is kind of on the outside looking in when you're talking draft prospects right now. He might be a late second, but he needs to kind of move up a bit. I think with his play style, he's going to get some attention either as a two-way player or as a high-priority summer league or exhibit 10 guy. If he's able to get past the first round, get into the combine and make a statement, I think even though he's 22 years old, there's some contender out there who's willing to take a shot on him and at least give a more extensive evaluation because the potential is there for him. I like kind of the archetype you have to build off of another guy who falls in the situation of you know maybe not being a draft prospect right now but having a lot of the ingredients is kind of lofton i'll say i'll backtrack a bit i think bouye is a draftable player lofton could also be as well with him it's not as clean cut six foot seven 275 pounds that's his build he's 19 And he came off of a monstrous season for Louisiana Tech. Averaged 16.5 points and 10.5 rebounds for them, shooting about 54% from the field. He had some crazy games, dropping 36 points, 18 rebounds. In all, I think there were three or four 30-point outputs for him. And he just did it all around the basket. He has the masterclass when it comes to footwork and just being able to work around in the post. When you're talking about getting angles in the lane and positioning yourself for entry passes, Kenneth Lofton has it down to a T right now, and that's why he was so successful. He's not the quickest dude, and he's not the most athletic, but because of his positioning, that's why he was able to drop 16.5 points. He knows how to kind of trick defenders. He has a very good sense of when to go for pump fakes. If someone leaves the ground or someone's not vertical anymore, he's going to go up and at you. A lot of times you'd see him right under the rim, go up for the pump fake, absorb the contact, and finish below the basket. And one opportunities were a plenty for him. 
and you started to see him operate a little bit in terms of jump hooks and even, you know, with a couple of post shots as well. So he's more of your old school power forward, I guess you could say. At the same time, though, he does have some sneaky agility to him as well, especially when it comes to that interior footwork. He's a bully ball guy. He's 275 pounds. You don't see it a lot for six foot seven prospects, but he uses that strength to just be a workhorse around the paint. And obviously, moving from facing up against maybe 19, 20, 21 year old bigs to now 28 year old bigs in the NBA, that's going to take some adjusting. And I don't think you're going to be able to just dominate as easily without some crazy athleticism. However, he does have that ability to back you down and go up for those jump hooks, which I think is very important. With him, he still has some holes in his game. The stats and the age are ridiculous. Double-double at 19 years old. That should put you on NBA radars. It comes with that one string attached, though, and it's that he doesn't really have a shot right now. He's worked a bit in the mid-range, and I think his jumper is pretty fluid, actually. I like the release speed, and I don't think that's an issue especially given I don't think people will be playing up on him as much. He needs to start sinking them though. He was very shy from the perimeter this year. He shot about 67% from the line. Just adding that mid-range game though is going to help you big time. And I think if he does that, that's a candidate you want to bring on to your G League roster and try to get them growing because he's only 19. You have to keep that in mind. A lot of players in this camp are 22. They've played four seasons of college, and you might say the growth plates have kind of been shrunken down a little bit. With Kenneth Lofton, no, they are ready to spring. There's a lot of room there, and under the right situation, you could turn him into a pretty interesting piece because right now, you don't find many players kind of in his build where he is a lot about footwork all about the interior and he has a lot of upper body strength but he's also a bigger build so that's why I'm very intrigued with him another player I am very intrigued by is David McCormick out of Kansas six foot ten 250 pounds he looks pretty lanky so he hides a 250 you would expect him to be about 230, 240, but he has that added weight to him, and the wingspan's not public, but guys, he has some long arms. We're going to see that, you know, when they do measurements today, and that's going to be big time in terms of his stock, I believe. Like him as a prospect, though, he is up there in age, which is going to probably tick him down and make him an undrafted sort of player. However, I don't think you should discredit him because of it. He has a very nice skill set that I think translates perfectly to the G League right now and even to the NBA ranks. This is just your traditional athletic 4-5. to Average 10.7 points and 7 boards for KU this year. I got a personal story with this. I was helping to cover Oklahoma State's game against Kansas this year at Gallagher-Iba. McCormick took over the game. He had a career high in rebounds. I think he dropped a 20 piece and he looked damn near unstoppable. Oklahoma State, they didn't have the greatest rebounding core this year. They did have Musa Cisse, who was actually in the elite camp last season. He's not in the draft this year, but he's like a seven footer. 
who also should be able to get your rebounds. He was getting bullied by McCormick the entire game. No one was really boxing out well enough, and because of it, you saw McCormick just slip into those creases and make them pay the entire game. That's what he's going to give you. On a rebounding front, he boxes out. On the offensive rebounding side of things, just like I said, he's able to find those pathways to get inside, and you won't see a ton of like put-back jams for him, definitely in the equation, but just being able to read the space off of you know, a missed shot is big time, and McCormick definitely has it there. Definitely helps when you're as lengthy as he is too. But the big thing is just his agility. He's an excellent rim runner. I think you could see him as a role man, definitely at the G League level. At the NBA level, that's basically how you have to use him because he just doesn't have a shot right now. But you use him in that pick and roll, you could definitely find him slip inside, maybe for some short rolls, just go for lobs in general. That's where you'll see the most production from him. In terms of entry passes, he was able to feast on there. He has a nice jump hook and he has some good verticality on him too. So that's a obvious plus. Soft touch on those shots around the basket as well. I don't know if we'll see him much as a post player though. More of just someone to set screens. And that's what you get. You get the finisher who can rebound. Traditional power forward. At the G League level, that's the recipe for a very productive player. At the NBA level, I think this is a very just baseline guy, at least right now. If he adds a shot, I'm very high on McCormick, even if he's 22 years old right now, because he does have the athletic ability. This is a guy who will get you a double-double in the G League, though, and for whoever picks him up, they're going to be very happy they did, because he's going to open up their offense tremendously. Another guy who could open up your offense is Ryan Terrell out of Yeshiva University. That's a Division Three school, and for Terrell, he passed up on multiple Division One offers to go to Yeshiva because of his strong beliefs. Yeshiva University um, has the religious affiliation of Judaism. For Terrell, he is a believer of Judaism as well, so that is one of the big reasons he decided to go there, and for the university and for just college basketball in general, he has been one of the top players in the nation. When you're talking all college rankings, D1, D2, D3, game, points per game, we're talking. Terrell was number one. He averaged 27.1 points per game, and he shot 47% from three. Now, you can talk about how the playing level might not be very high. You know, the defense might not be at premium levels. The overall talent pool might not be that way. And that's true, right? You're going to find better prospects at the Division I level. But that doesn't mean there can't be serious talent elsewhere. Duncan Robinson is a prime example. He started out at D3 before getting that call up to Michigan. And then the rest was history for him. Hell, he went undrafted after Michigan and he still had to prove himself. But you have those opportunities and you don't have to play D1 exactly. With Terrell, he has a very good shot and that's kind of where he lives and dies. If you're going to move him to the next level, it's because he is a sharpshooter. He's 6'7", so he can play the 2 or the 3 for you. But the big aspect is shooting. He's not the most athletic defensively. I wouldn't say he is excellent right now. 
but the shot, that's where you get the money's worth. He's got some 50-point games in his arsenal. I think when you look at him, he's a catch-and-shoot threat. Kind of stick him in the corner and see what he does there. Very amped up to see how he plays in the two scrimmage games today and tomorrow. Another sharpshooter in this class is Hong Jung Lee out of Davidson. I'm surprised that Lee was invited to this camp as opposed to the NBA Combine. All signals have pointed to him being a mid-second round pick, I would say. And for the Combine, which hands out 70-plus invites, I would have thought Lee would fell, like, fall in that spectrum of someone being invited. Instead, he's at the G League camp, but I can guarantee a lot of eyes will be on him. He has the cleanest three-point shot I have seen of the invitees I've looked at. Bouye has a great one. I'd say Lee's is even cleaner. Bouye gets it done in terms of self-creation. He does it on ball better than a lot of players that are deemed draftable players right now. Bouye is, like I said, but he did, he does a great job. With Lee, that's not really his role, and that's fine. He's a six foot seven wing, and you'll just use him off the catch. It's more of a standing jump shot. You don't get a lot of air time off of it, but it's really speedy, meaning it's still very dangerous. And even on the ball, he has a very nice kind of two dribble pull up and he has a mini step back that doesn't create a lot of room, but it did the trick over at Davidson. One of the best shooters in college and for a lot of teams, they need that sharp shooting ability. Oklahoma City is included in that batch. Another guy to watch is Sharif O'Neal out of LSU. He hasn't played really at all in college. He's had to deal with multiple different injuries. The big one came with his heart condition that he has been dealing with. um, And he got that, I believe, sophomore year at UCLA. So he's dealt with a lot. And his story is really inspirational. But he's in the transfer portal now. Declared for the draft to kind of get that experience in. And now he's been handed the opportunity today and tomorrow. 22 years old, so he is a bit up there. But there's so much potential because he just hasn't played and there's not a ton of film on him right now. He was a top 50 prospect coming out of high school, ranked number 34 by ESPN. And he was a high flyer in high school. If you looked at the mixtapes, this was a guy throwing down dunks like it was nobody's business. Going up top for some chase down blocks. And then even as a sharpshooter, he had a very nice form there. We'll see the measurements. We'll see him in scrimmages. This is potentially a guy you bring on for your G League. He doesn't have a lot of college experience under his belt. However... He does have intriguing potential and really an intriguing build that you don't find too often in these draft classes, especially for a guy who I assume would go undrafted if he were to officially declare. Now, going into who I think gets the call-ups to the NBA Combine, this is a hard one to gauge because it's more based on the executives and front office like voting than it is who the MVP of the games would be. So you could average 20 points in these two games and get passed up for a dude who averaged six and has a nice high school or college film, you know? 
That's just how it goes. I'm kind of going for a blend of both, though. There are four people who were given the call-up last year. I have four names on this one. I think that there's way more that could get the call-up, and that's where all these stories come from. That's why the G League is so interesting, just because, you know, one day you're talking about this guy, and then next day someone else drops 50 points, and you can do a whole deep dive on what they've been working on to that point. I think the first call-up for me is Brady Manick out of North Carolina. This is your stretch four, stretch five. That holds some value. He's not the most athletic, but he's pretty damn smart when it comes to the game. And I think that you kind of look at him as almost a Luca Garza type from last year. Garza led D1 in scoring last season. People kind of doubted him. But for the Pistons, he's done a suitable job. I think you bring on Manic uh, into the NBA Combine to see that sharpshooting Kind of see how he translates. I think he could sneak into a high-priority two-way deal or a pickup in the late second round. Jordan Hall is my next player out of St. Joe's. He was put on the actual combine, I believe, last year before returning to college. Another solid season for him. He's had many different teams pegged to him in the last few years. I think that immediately puts him on the grid for the NBA Combine. Hung Jung Lee is also one of those players where I think his draft stock is more in that like mid-second round. And they're going to want to see more of that jump shot. Jamari Bouye is my final selection. I think with this archetype just growing so much and sort of hitting center stage, someone like Bouye holds a lot of value and... Even if he doesn't get promoted, I guarantee there's going to be a list of teams looking his way for a contract. You want to have someone like Bouye at your disposal, whether it's a G League type of deal, a two-way deal, whatever, because he can be your spark plug, and that carries a lot of value. That's kind of my grouping here. There's many more players. You guys can check out the G League's website if you want to see more coverage on that. But I want to pivot right back over to the Thunder side of things and my Tankathon spin for the year. Last season, I was hitting the Tankathon button about once every couple of days because it got you some conversation starters and it was able to kind of bring some interesting conversations to the table. I think there's a lot of value on this website and I know Joe Musato did an interview with the founder of it. This website has grown tenfold in the last two seasons. Everybody's going to Tankathon to, you know, get their two cents in or hit the spin button to get the top pick in the draft. And for the Thunder's case, they could wind up with picks number one and two. If everything goes in a dream scenario, I'm not going to say according to plan because that's definitely not... Um, you know, the the most likely outcome. But sure, if, if that's your plan, that's the plan. Anyways, though, I haven't used the website as much as I have like this year compared to last. I did want to hit that button one time, though, before we got into the big day. And, you know, I'm, I'm not one who really believes in superstitions, honestly. I will say last year, there were so many posts of the Thunder getting 1-5, and 
And, you know, it obviously didn't go that way. For me, I wasn't going to fall into the void of clicking the button million times until I got what I wanted. I just said, I'm going to click this button once. And whenever I get, that's what we're going with. And guys, I might need to get a ticket to Chicago because I landed one of the best hauls for the Thunder. Here is how the board looks. Oklahoma City's pick, projected number four, 12.5% chance of that number one pick, goes to number one. That's not good enough. The Clippers' pick, projected number 12, 7.2% chance of going top four, lands top four. So OKC has the first pick and the fourth pick. I checked out Tyler Carroll's simulations on Twitter, did 15,000 simulations on um you know the lottery outcomes and he showed me the document last year it is legit stuff guys 0.31% chance of that outcome so that is insane that's where you go to the casino and bet all your chips that's crazy but um you have those two in the top 4 New Orleans goes to number 2 Detroit stays at 3 and that means Houston Falls out of the top four. They're pick number five. Orlando, pick number six. Indiana, pick seven. Portland, pick eight. Sacramento's at nine. San Antonio's at ten. You got Washington, New York, Charlotte, and Cleveland. This is the best scenario, basically. Are there two better ones? Sure. But this is basically hitting the jackpot if you're the Thunder. And... The big discussion, and I'll go more into this probably tomorrow in terms of my draft philosophy and maybe others, is what do you do with picks number one and four? There are so many good prospects in this draft. There is a top three kind of set right now in Chet, Jabari Smith, and Paulo Banchero. Then you drop down to guys like Shaden Sharp and Jaden Ivey for four and five. Me personally... I think that's the grouping. Then you go down and there's a big great um, kind of gap between five and six, at least the way I've kind of viewed prospects. You get two very talented players, but the question is, how are you going to do this? OKC has had a clear discrepancy at the center spot. They really haven't had one the last two seasons. Moses Brown was there. Tony Br- Bradley was there too, but those were short-term options. They weren't anything serious and even a guy like Moses, who had a great year, got cut off. Chet is there for the taking. He's someone who should bring you a double-double pretty damn consistently. Amazing rim protector, and the way he shot in college was spectacular. Very unique prospect. Have other guys like Jabari and Paulo, though. You still haven't kind of shorn up your front court in terms of the power forward spot, and even a little bit in the small forward spot. You have SGA, Lou, and Josh Giddy. You need to tie it all up, and you need to find a legitimate sharpshooter there as well. Jabari is an amazing fit. Banchero gives you the best of both worlds. This is someone you could slide in at the three or the four. Amazing ball handler, one of the top finishers in this draft class, and if he's able to get things done as a sharpshooter, That is a scary player. That's someone you consider probably the top player coming out of this draft class. But you have number four as well. And with that top three, you're now left with a guy like Sharp or Ivy, where they don't check the positional boxes, 
But in terms of true talent, it's very hard to find this sort of value at pick number four or five even. So it's a very special cut. I think if I'm Sam Presti, I'm letting everybody know I'm taking Chet Holmgren. Let them know. Because I want the New Orleans Pelicans to try to trade down from pick number two to pick number four. We'll take that. We'll move up two spots. And the Pelicans, they get pick four, which has a ton of value. And you get picks on picks on picks. OKC has built this treasure trove for a reason. This is a cause to get the first and second pick that you can't pass up on. And you have pick number four. Normally, the difference between two and four is significant. However, because of the Pelicans situation, I think it's a little bit different. They already have Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, CJ McCollum. Jonas Valanciunas is a free agent. But let's say you're taking Shet and they fully believe it. They're still going to be interested in, interested in retaining him or getting another like high-level center. Now, you look at the position at point guard. Jose Alvarado's there. Kyra Lewis Jr. is there as well. Devontae Graham could stick around. But what about Ivy? Maybe sliding in there. He's not much of a playmaker, but maybe move CJ down a bit. Yeah, that's going to get a very special bunch together. I think you try pulling that card, though, to scare the Pelicans down to four. For the purposes of this, it does not happen, and that's why you take Jabari Smith Jr. out of Auburn. The way I think of it is you got to kind of set your priorities straight. What's more valuable, having that lethal sharpshooting three or four or having a really talented player at the center position? Having an insanely good center comes with advantages. But I think when you talk about what is more replaceable, it's probably the center spot in comparison to one of those forwards. Jabari Smith gives you exactly what you need. SGA and Giddy are amazing ball handlers and playmakers. But who are they kicking it out to? They're kicking it out to players that are shooting sub 33% from distance. And OKC has been one of the worst teams in catch and shoot the last two years. Jabari Smith has limitless range, beautiful release, one of the best sharpshooters I've seen in a draft in a good bit, really, and he does it at 6'10". That's a special find, and he ties it all together. The one pitfall is Chet's gone, but you're going after what works for you the most. This isn't a matter of, you know, how's it going to fall? Who cares what the Pelicans take? If they're a pick number two, you're damn sure they're getting a great prospect and they're making a really great team even greater. It's just how it goes. I think you go Jabari though, at least in this present day. Might do more scouting, might give you an update, but I think you go Jabari Smith. It's a hard, hard take because you could take Chet or Paulo. think they're all very respectable for the number one spot, but Jabari, that's who I'm taking. Number two, the Pelicans go with Chet. Jonas is on that expiring deal. Why would you pay the man big bucks when you have a ton of players you need to pay and Chet can slide right in, gives you insane rim protection, could potentially stretch the floor for you, and he's going to do it on a rookie scale contract. That is a beautiful fit, 
and the Pelicans come out as the big winners from lottery night. The Pistons, they got Paulo Banchero. You could go with someone like Ivy or Sharp, but I think that fit is amazing. You go with Paulo and you run with it. Then you get to OKC's pick at four. Do you go with the positional fit? I don't think so. I think it'd be pretty silly at this high of a, a, a pick. Maybe you try trading four away for a prospect, move down a couple selections, and go after a center. But all indications have shown OKC just goes after the best player available. They took Josh Giddy last year, followed it up with Trey Mann, and that's two guards when you could have got Sangoon at 16. You know, like they just want to do what they believe is the best for right now and what's going to give them the best benefit in the current moment. That's why you take Jaden Ivey out of Purdue. He's 6'4", playmaking. He couldn't use a few touch-ups because I don't think he's the best passer necessarily, but he's shown flashes and he has an insane skill set. Dude can jump out of the freaking gym. In terms of the catch and shoot, he has it down. I'd say he's more of a refined shooter than Shaden. Shaden might be viewed as the better athlete, maybe, but Ivy is so special. In terms of attacking the basket, he's able to absorb contact. He's able to posterize you. He's able to stop on a dime and pull up. This is the type of scorer who's dropping you 20 plus per game and he'll be instrumental in a run. OKC is going to have a logjam, I think, at the guard spot regardless. And that's why you want to get one and two or one and three so you can get Chet and maybe a small forward. It just works out a little bit nicer. However, in true talent, Ivy at four is an absolute steal. I don't think you can go wrong with Sharp either, but damn, you get SGA, Ivy, Giddy, not to mention Lou, Dort, and Trey Mann there. They'll have to work it out, but those are five premium guards, and you have Jabari Smith. All you have to do is find that center, and I think you could be able to find one in this free agent market. I don't know if the Thunder are going after Aiton. Um, I might do a video or a podcast on that. Maybe someone like Jalen Smith out of Indiana. OKC should have the money with all the rookie scale contracts. And hell, maybe they find someone in consolidating picks 30 and 34. Or they find some other way uh, to get that five spot. But this gives you such an elite group moving forward. And one of the best future outlooks in the league. The most common role sees OKC getting pick number six again, and LA keeping their pick around at 12. However, if Tankathon's going to give me this good of a reading, I'm damn sure going to use it, and you're going to run with it. So this is one of the pipe dream situations. Tomorrow, I'll be going over the more realistic cases and the prospects to keep names on, not just at the top of the board, But even once you get down to the lower selections, OKC's pick could find itself at. Tomorrow is going to be huge. OKC for the second year in a row has just circled this date for months and months and it's finally going to be here. Didn't get the greatest outcome last year. Still got a hell of a player in Josh Gideon. You don't really want to change that up. Now you get a chance to get those big time pieces top five you should be sitting pretty good we'll see how that goes though so tomorrow 
Like I said, I'll be going through the ins and outs of the draft lottery, kind of what to expect on that front, the top prospects to look for, and what craziness we could see unfold. So make sure to check out tomorrow's pod. I really appreciate you guys sticking through this one. I know I had a streak where I was having 50-minute pods like it was night and day, kind of been down more to the 30-minute mark. This is one of the more longer ones because we have hit a very big part of the offseason. So make sure to keep tabs on that. You guys can continue listening to the pod or you can get some more coverage on my Twitter as well. That's at Ben Kreider. You can also check out the Thundersticks podcast Twitter. That's at Thunderstick Pod. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening. And I will talk to you all next time. See ya.